0: I will be the Shaytan in the Rajim. Bismillah, Rahman, Rahim. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. Wasallahu ala Sayyidina wa Nabina Muhammad wa ala Ahlibayt al Tayyibin al Tahirin. Salamu alaikum, dear brothers and sisters. Wa rahmatullah, wa barakatuh. And I'd like to welcome you to another episode of The Life of Prophet Muhammad. We mentioned in our previous episodes that with the death of Abu Talib, the Prophet had lost his uh, political protection. Abu Talib was the, the chief of Quraysh, and as long as Abu Talib was present, no one dared to inflict any harm on the Prophet. After the death of Abu Talib, the Prophet, as we discussed, he sought what we can call political asylum from the various tribes in Arabia, especially uh, in Mecca and the surrounding areas. He tried to uh, emigrate to Ta'if. He tried to invite some of the tribes of Ta'if to Islam. But all of those attempts, uh, unfortunately, were unsuccessful. Now the Prophet finds himself not knowing uh, where aid is going to come from. The future of Islam looks very grim at this juncture. So this is all happening in Mecca. Meanwhile, in the city of Yathrib, which is the ancient name for the city of Medina, the Aus and the Khazraj, As we discussed, the the two main tribes, the two main Arab tribes in Yathrib were the Aus and Khazraj. And they were rivals. They were powerful tribes who were constantly fighting one another. And they were involved in, they have a long uh, standing history of civil war. The Battle of Bu'ath, as historians mention... The Battle of Boath was the fourth and the latest clash between the Ous and the Khazraj. So they were always involved in skirmishes, in you know, small scale military conflicts. But in the past there were three major wars between the Ous and the Khazraj. And the Battle of Bu'ath, or Boath, according to some reports, was the final, was the fourth and last. Major war between the Aus and the Khazraj. And this war really destroyed the community in Yathrib. It caused, uh, it was a very uh, divisive time. Uh, The war polarized the community. There was a lot of bitterness between the tribes. And the situation in Yathrib became so unbearable that the moderate clansmen from both sides, from the Aus and the Khazraj, they proposed that we need to elect a leader, a single leader who will unify us all. So what they do is, uh, they decide to appoint Abdullah ibn Ubay, who was the, the chief of Khazraj. And the reason why he was uh, he was looked to for this position is because even though he was a chief of the Khazraj, he refused to fight with his clansmen against the oaths on the grounds that this was an unjust war, there was no justification for it. So when the war quelled between the two sides, they saw Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul as someone who was fair, someone who, was, who could be impartial, and therefore at least temporarily they appointed him as the ruler of Yathrib. Now this is important because when the Prophet goes on the Hijrah, when eventually the Prophet arrives in Medina, who loses his political power? Abdullah ibn Ubayy. And later on in the seerah, we will see that this man becomes one of the most prominent hypocrites in the community of the prophet and it goes it goes back to this to the fact that he was the ruler of medina he was the ruler of yathrib, yathrib until the prophet arrived and he basically lost all of his his power and his influence according to a narration in ibn sa'd's sirah and if you want more information about the sirah of uh of ibn sa'd you can refer uh, to episode 1, where we speak about some of the primary sources for the seerah. In any case, according to the narration of Ibn Sa'ad, when the conflict between the Aus and the Khazraj reached its peak, when the violence became intense, there were two men who decided to travel to Mecca to seek, to seek help from Quraysh against the Aus. These two men are important. The first of them is As'ad ibn Zurara and Dhakwan. These are two men from the tribe of Khazraj. They travel, they leave Yathrib. They come to Medina to solicit help from Quraysh so they can vanquish the tribe of Aws. Now when does this happen? So the, the Battle of Bu'ath it lasted for a number of years, and the the fighting was so intense that historians say that even at night, the men carried uh, their weapons, meaning they would attack each other during the day, during the night. So the situation became unbearable in Yathrib. So these two men, As'ad ibn Zurara and Dhakwan, they decide to make the trip to Mecca, now this trip to Mecca took place sometime between the 5th year after the Bi'tha and the 10th year after the Bi'tha. And this is an important time period in Mecca because this is when the Prophet and Bani Hashim were under sanctions. This was uh, the time of the blockade. So As'ad ibn Zurara and the clan, they arrive in they arrive in Mecca they run into Utbah ibn Rabi'ah. Utbah ibn Rabi'ah is basically the father of Hind, the father-in-law of Abu Sufyan, one of the most prominent uh, figures in Meccan society, a man of great wealth, a great, of great influence. So they put their request to him. They basically ask him, they appeal to him for support, for military support. Utbah ibn Rabi'ah tells As'ad ibn Zurara and Dhakwan that, listen, our city is distant from yours. Yathrib is far away. And we have troubles that won't allow us to engage in any other. Utbah ibn Rabi'ah says that we have our own problems in Mecca right now. And we're not in any position to offer you help because we cannot spread ourselves thin. There is a problem that we are trying to tend to now in Mecca. So As'ad asks... Utbah, what troubles could you possibly have, considering that, you know, this is Mecca, this is the Haram, this is the sanctuary of peace. You know, the pagans recognized that this is a sacred place. What possible issues could you be could you be having? Utbah says to him, that the, a man from among us has risen up, claiming to be a messenger of God. He claims that he is connected to God, that he was appointed by God. And he says to As'ad that he has denounced our elders as fools. He wants us to abandon the customs and the traditions of our predecessors. He railed against our gods. He's corrupted our youth. And he's caused major rifts in our society. He's broken up families because of his message. So As'ad... He says, who is this man? Utba says he is the son of Abdullah ibn Abdul Muttalib. And he comes from the most noble and prestigious clan within the Quraysh. So this is not just a nobody. This is someone who comes from the most noble clan, who comes from the most noble family. That's why it's causing us so much trouble. It's, this, this is not, these are not the words of an outsider. He's one of us. And in fact, he is the best of us. As'ad and Kwan again, remember, these two men are from the the tribe of Khazraj. They're coming from Yathrib. They want some support from Quraysh. And they hear that there's this man in Mecca who's creating a lot of problems for Quraysh. So when they hear this from Utbah, it sparks their curiosity. They say, that you know, let, we want to go meet. We want to see this man, and the reason why is because you know, Asad ibn Zurara and the Kwan they're from Yathrib, and Yathrib. You know, there was a, a significant uh, Jewish diaspora in Yathrib, so they had heard from the Jews of the prof- of prophecies. They've heard the prophecies of a prophet who would rise up in Mecca and who would emigrate to Yathrib. So, they say to, they ask Utbah, where is this man? Utbah says that he is in the Hijr. He's in Hijr Ismail. He's next to the Kaaba, and re, if you remember, brothers and sisters, even though during the, the even though the prophet was under a blockade and they were sanctioned and they there was an embargo imposed upon them, Quraysh allowed them to leave the mountain hideout of Abu Talib during Hajj and Umrah. So the Prophet was free to roam about during Hajj. So Utbah says that he's in the Hijr. But Utbah Utbah told As'ad and the clan that be careful. Don't approach him, don't listen to him because he has enchanted many people with his spells. You may become affected by his sorcery. So As'ad he sees the Prophet for the first time in the Hijr of Ismail and he decides to talk to him. And he basically asks him, you know, what is your message? Rasulullah ﷺ, he says, my message is that there is no God but Allah and Muhammad and I am his messenger and I call you to the following. Rasulullah ﷺ, he quotes... He recites two verses from Surah Al-An'am, An- Al- Surah, Al- Surah 6, verses 151 and 152. بسم rahman Rahim قُلْ قُلْ تَعَالَوْا أَتْلُمَا حَرَّمَ رَبُّكُمْ عَلَيْكُمْ Tell them, O Muhammad, come, and I shall recount what your Lord has forbidden for you. أَلَّا تُشْرِكُوا بِهِ شَيْئًا that you shall not ascribe any partners to him, وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ إِحْسَانًا, and you and that you be good to your parents, وَلَا تَقْتُلُوا أُولَادَكُمْ مِنْ إِمْلَاقٍ, نَحْنُ and that you not kill your children due to poverty. Abortion because of poverty was very common in Arabia. Don't kill your children due to poverty. We shall for we shall provide for you and for them. And do not approach indecencies, whether public or private. And that you do not kill a soul whose life has been made inviolable except with due cause. This is what he has enjoyed upon you, so that you may use your intellect. And then the prophet says, "Wala He says, "Wala Mal yatim illa And do not approach the orphan's property. You know, of course, especially in Yathrib and in all over Arabia, because of the wars and the conflict, there were many widows and many orphans. So you see the emphasis of this Quranic. Injunction: Do not approach the orphan's property. Do not misappropriate the money of orphans, except in the best possible manner until he comes of age. And observe fully the measure and the balance with fairness, meaning observe fairness in your economic transactions. Don't cheat people. We do not We task no soul except according to its capacity. وَإِذَا قُلْتُمْ فَعْدِلُوا وَلَوْ كَانَ ذَا وَبِعَهْدِ اللَّهِ أَوْفُوا And when you speak, be fair, even if it is against a relative. And this is important because in Arabia, your tribe was always right. Here the Qur'an says, speak. Fairly, speak justly, even if it is against a relative, even if it's against a clansman. And fulfill God's covenant, this is what he enjoys upon you, so that you may take admonition. So the Prophet recites these two verses to these men, these two men who come from Yathrib, who want to know what Islam is all about. He basically goes through the fundamental moral moral values of the religion. As'ad ibn Zurara, he listens to the Qur'an and he says the shahada. It only took two verses of the Qur'an and a brief meeting with the Prophet. And of course, when Rasulullah recites Qur'an, when he explains the Qur'an, it's not like you and I when we try to you know, uh, explain and present the Qur'an to others. The Prophet's words were very impactful and As'ad on the spot. He declares that there is no God but Allah and that Muhammad is his messenger. He becomes a Muslim. And he, he As'ad ibn Zurala, and I want you to memorize this name. He is the first convert to Islam from the people of Yathrib. And the Quran also converts. As'ad then says to the Prophet, O Messenger of God, I am from Yathrib, from the Khazraj tribe. Between us and our brethren, the Aus, our ties are broken. As we mentioned, constant warfare and the battle of Bu'ath completely decimated any semblance of unity and brotherhood among them. Asad then says to the Prophet, If God mends these ties through you, no one will be dearer to us than you. By God, we used to hear prophecies about you from the Jews. They used to give us tidings of your advent and reveal your description to us. So the the Arabs of Yathrib, they were very well acquainted with Jewish scriptures. They knew about these prophecies. They used to give us glad tidings of your advent and reveal your description to us, he says. I hope that our city will be your destination and your new home. And then he says, "Praise is for God for guiding me to you. By God, we came to seek help in destroying our brethren. But God has given me something far better." As'ad says to the prophet that I came to Mecca with the niya with the intention of soliciting help from Quraysh so we can decimate the tribe of the Aws but I'm glad that Allah guided me to you, and perhaps we can mend the hearts and repair the damages that we've done. So, these two men, As'ad ibn Zurara and the they go back to Yathrib. And they spend, you know, a couple of years, two, three years, and they're Muslims now, and they're secretly inviting. They're secretly inviting the. I'm sorry, let me just. They secretly invite the prophet. Uh, they invite uh, the people of Yathrib to the religion of Islam. So there is a secret. Uh, there is a secret da'wa that takes place. So. After a few years, two to three years, perhaps more, Islam spreads among the, the, uh, the people of Yathrib. And it's all because of the efforts of As'ad ibn Zurara and Dhaquan. These two Muslims go back and they start privately inviting uh, friends, relatives to Islam. In the twelfth year after the Bi'tha, so this was a few years after they're meeting with the Prophet. A delegation of 12 men from Medina, 10 from the tribe of Khazraj, two from the tribe of Aus, they, they come from Medina, they arrive in Mecca, and they meet with the Prophet at a hollow near Jamarat al-Aqaba, which is in Mina. And they make a pledge to the Prophet they gather around the Prophet. So they're, all, they're Muslims, they converted to Islam. And they gather around the Prophet and they listen intently to his words. So 12 people from Medina who had converted, he says to them, the Prophet says to them, come here and pledge that you will not associate any with Allah. So either they had converted or they were inclined towards Islam, the Prophet speaks to them. He says that, Come here and pledge that you will not associate any with Allah, that you will not steal, nor commit unlawful sexual intercourse, nor kill your children, nor utter slander intentionally forging falsehood, nor disobey me in any good, he who fulfills this, Allah will reward him. And he who neglects anything and is afflicted in this world, it may prove redemption for him in the hereafter. And if the sin remains hidden from the eyes of men and no grief comes to him, then his affair is with Allah. He may forgive him or he may not. So the Prophet goes over, he, he gives this short speech to them. And this became known as the first Aqaba Pledge. بَيْعَةُ الْعَقَبَةِ الْأُولَى And as you saw, the summary of what the terms of the pledge were is that the Prophet basically asked them, commanded them not to associate partners with Allah, that they should not commit theft, they should not steal, they should not commit adultery or fornication, they should stop committing infanticide, whether it's burying female infants alive or uh, you know, aborting children because of fear of poverty. They should not falsely attribute paternity, that don't falsely ascribe children to people who are not their fathers, and not to disobey the Prophet in any good. The Prophet tells you to do something you should obey. So they make the pledge to the Prophet, and they ask the Prophet now because... As'ad and Dhakwan, the they had met the Prophet briefly, and they just knew the basics of Islam. They asked the Prophet if he could send someone to Yathrib who could teach them the Qur'an. Because Qur'an is being revealed where? It's being revealed in Mecca. And the, the Muslims who are in Yathrib, they have no access to revelation at this, at this point. And they have no one there who is uh, who is familiar with what has already been revealed. So they make this request to the Prophet that, Ya Rasulullah, we need someone to educate us. So the Prophet he sends Mus'ab ibn Umayr. Mus'ab ibn Umayr, and this was very wise of the Prophet. The Prophet knew that there were... There were you know the aus and the Khaz, khazraj were, were rivals so he makes a good choice that he doesn't appoint someone from the aus or someone from the khazraj to be the quran teacher for the community because if he appoints someone from the khazraj someone from the uh, people the aus tribe will feel slighted and vice versa so he appoints mus'ab ibn umayr who was who was native to Mecca, he was a Hashimi. he was not from the Aus and the Khazraj, and he was quite familiar with uh, the Quran, especially uh, uh, the, the surahs that were revealed in Mecca. Now what makes Mus'ab uh, the, the main contender for this position, and what makes him the, the choice of the Prophet is that he was one of the first people who converted to Islam He converted to Islam when the Prophet was secretly secretly inviting people to Islam in uh, Darul Arqam. And the Prophet saw great sincerity in this man. Mus'ab hid, he concealed his conversion to Islam even from his own parents and from his relatives. And he used to secretly meet the Prophet and Musab ibn Umayr He hails from a very wealthy family. He was one of the most attractive young men in Meccan society. So he had he had the money, he had the looks. You know, women would you know uh, they would throw themselves at him. He was he had everything. And. The Prophet ﷺ, he says, there's a narration that's attributed to the Prophet that says, إِنَّ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ لَمَّا أَقْبَلَ عَلَيْهِ مُصْعَبِ بِنْ عُمَيْرِ وعليه إحاب وعليه إحاب كبش. The Prophet ﷺ, one day he saw Mus'ab ibn Umair wearing some very coarse clothing, very simple clothing. And the Prophet he said to his companions, أُنظُرُوا إِلَى رَجُلٍ قَدْ نَوَّرَ اللَّهُ قَلْبَهَ Look at a man. He's pointing at Mus'ab. Look at a man whose heart has been illuminated by God. وَلَقَدْ رَأَيْتُهُ وَهُوَ بَيْنَ أَبَوَيْهِ يُغَذِّيَانِهِ بِأَطْيَبِ الْأَطْعِمَ وَأَلْيَنِ اللِّبَاسِ فَدَعَاهُ حُبُّ اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ إِلَى مَا تَرَوْنِ The Prophet says, That before he became Muslim, before Mus'ab became Muslim, I used to see him in Mecca and his parents used to feed him the best food, he used to wear the finest garments. He lived a life of luxury and he abandoned all of that. And you see him now in this condition living a very minimalist life because of his love it's the love of Allah and the love of His Messenger that has drawn him to this path. So Mus'ab ibn umayr is undoubtedly uh, one of the, the most devout and the most learned of the companions of the Prophet. A man whose uh, sincerity is even attested to by the Prophet. And as we will see in the seerah, he is martyred uh, later on in the battle of Uhud. So Mus'ab ibn Umair, who incidentally, brothers and sisters, was in his mid-twenties. So this is not an elderly person. It's a very young person and the Prophet gives him this very important task. He places a great deal of trust in him. And this is also an important lesson for us that we have to also empower our youth. We shouldn't baby them and think that you know we're going to give all of the important responsibilities to the elders. The Prophet, he mentored young people and he gave them important positions he made them feel that they were stakeholders in the uh, in the spread of islam after mus'ab ibn umayr arrives in medina he stays with as'ad ibn zurara the man who met the prophet uh, years earlier who was the first convert to islam from the people of yathrib and uh, mus'ab ibn umayr and as'ad ibn zurara they work very well together they spread islam uh, in Yathrib, and they actually establish congregational prayers in Medina, which is not yet called Medina, it's called Yathrib, and Mus'ab ibn Umair becomes the first man in, uh, in Medina to hold Friday prayers. He was holding Friday prayers, holding Jama'a prayers, people would gather, uh, they would come to the house of As'ad ibn Zurara, and Mus'ab would basically teach them the Qur'an. They would have Qur'an study sessions. In, uh, in Medina. Because of the efforts of these men, slowly many from the Ous and the Khazraj converted to Islam. And because the Prophet saw that there was a growing community in Medina, and Yathrib, the Prophet starts to send his companions to Medina So bear in mind that the Prophet sends many of his companions before he himself emigrates from Mecca to Medina. Now, As'ad's hospitality towards Mus'ab greatly annoyed his cousin Sa'ad ibn Ma'ad. So Sa'ad ibn Ma'ad is the cousin of As'ad. Now I know it's difficult to keep track of the names, but inshallah if you review uh, the notes... Uh, the names will become... Uh, you'll be more familiar with the names. So Sa'd ibn Ma'adh becomes irritated. Like, who is this new guy in town? My cousin is always hanging around with him. He's showing him this incredible hospitality. So Sa'd ibn Ma'ad, who is one of the chiefs of the tribe of Aus, he, uh, he wants to get to the bottom of this. He wants to break up these meetings. So as one of the chiefs of Aus, Sa'ad ibn Maad, he sends his friend Usaid ibn Hudayr to break up Mus'ab's gatherings. You know, that's what happens. People, when they're in power, if there's anything that's going on in the city that's not under their control, they want to break it up. They want to spoil it. So Sa'ad ibn Maad he sends Usaid. Usaid goes to this Qur'an gathering Conducted by Mus'ab ibn Umair. And subhanAllah, he's captivated by the Qur'an. And he returns as a converted man. Imagine. So Sa'ad, when he sees that the man that I sent, I sent Usaid, my friend Usaid ibn Hudayr, to break up these gatherings, he ends up converting. So Sa'ad says, let me, I want to go see. I want to confront Mus'ab myself. See, what's the issue? Why are people flocking to this man? He goes and he meets Mus'ab ibn Umair and Saad ibn Ma'adh. He too is mesmerized by the Qur'an. He's transfixed by the, the beauty and the depth of the Qur'an, the profound wisdom that pours from the Qur'an. And soon after, so and he, so Saad also converts. Now, Sa'ad being one of the chiefs of the tribe of Aus, he leverages his position, his authority, and he persuades his entire clan to embrace the new religion. So as you can imagine, there was a snowball effect here. People were joining Islam in droves. Now, in The 13th year after the Bi'tha, one year after the the first Aqaba Pledge, a large group of Muslims from Medina, they come for hajj. With the rest of the Medinans, the people of Medina, they come for hajj. Now, so, So now you have this large Muslim community in Medina, and now they're performing hajj. Of course, Hajj not based on the rules of Islam, but they were, you know, performing some uh, what what was known to them as part of the rites of the Hajj, and many of them are anxious and excited to meet the Prophet. They would converted to this new religion. Now they have the opportunity to meet the Messenger of God. For many of them, their only experience with Quran was through Musab bin Umair and some others. So through secret communications because it was still dangerous to public publicize your commitment to the Islamic faith through secret communications the 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 group the muslim group from medina they agreed to meet the prophet during yamut tashriq during you know the middle of the month so on the eve of the 12th of uh dhul hijjah in a hollow near Jamrat al-Aqaba, and this is in Mina, where we go today to, th- to throw pebbles at the, uh, the Jamarat, in that place, or somewhere near that place, they meet the Prophet. And this meeting happens, uh, apparently at nighttime, and they keep the meeting a secret. So not all of the people who were coming from Yathrib were Muslims, so the Muslims kept it a secret from the other pilgrims. And that night, 70 men and three women from Yathrib, who were Muslims, who had converted, they they meet the Prophet. And this becomes known as the Second Aqaba Pledge. Now what's interesting here is, Abbas, the uncle of the Prophet. Now at this point, Abbas, the Prophet's uncle, had not yet converted to Islam, but he, has, he feels a sense of responsibility for the Prophet. He escorts the Prophet to the meeting place. And some narrations say that Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib was also present and he was keeping a lookout to ensure that uh, Quraysh, they don't ambush them. And Abbas, he addresses the, the congregation. He addresses the delegation, the pilgrims who had come from Yathrib. And he says, O oh, people of Khazraj. Now, we know that there were members of the Os who were also present, but perhaps because the Khazraj were the numerical majority, maybe that's why he uh, he addressed them as the people of Khazraj. But Allah knows best. So Abbas, the uncle of the Prophet, before the Prophet speaks, he steps forward and addresses uh, the the group, the 73, the 70 plus uh group from Yathrib, he says to them, O people of Khazraj, Muhammad is dear to us, as you know. We have defended him against our people, against a people to whom he is as dear as he is to us, for he is honored by his people and in his city. But he has chosen to emigrate to you and to join with you. If you believe you will fulfill the terms with, the, with which you have called him to yourselves and defend him against those who oppose him, then so be it. Al-Abbas ibn Abdul al is said wants to see, do you guys know what you're getting yourselves into? Don't put the Prophet in harm's way. This is not just you know, some Joe Shmo off of the street. This is a man who hails from the most noble clan of Quraysh. If you want to commit to the terms, so be it. But if you believe, he says, but if you believe you will desert him after he emigrates to you, then from this moment let him go. Don't make any false promises. For he is honored among his people and in his city. The, the, the people from Yathrib, the Muslims from Yathrib, they say, We have heard what you have said. And they turn to the Prophet and they say, Now speak, O Messenger of God, and demand for yourself and for your Lord whatever terms you wish. Look at the commitment of these people. They say, Ya Rasulullah, you tell us what you want from us. We will not dictate to you the terms of our relationship. The Prophet he began by reciting some Qur'an to them, calling them to God, calling them to Islam. And then he says to them that I call on you to defend me as you defend your women and children. You know, women and children, the Arabs were very protective of their women and children. The Prophet says, I want you to be as protective of me as you are of them, because I am the messenger of God, I have a mission, and I want to uh, deliver this message uh, uh, safely and with, uh, with your protection. Now, a man by the name of Abu al-Haytham, who was among the listeners, he says to the Prophet, Ya Rasulullah, between us and those men, I mean he's referring to the Jewish tribes, between us and them there are certain ties. We are now severing them. If we do this, and God gives you victory over your people, will you return to your people and leave us? So this man says that, you know, we have... We, 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 we looked up to the Jews, we had relationships with them, ties with them, but we're willing to make you the priority. We will we are willing to make you our most important point of reference. But we want to know, Ya Rasulullah, if Allah gives you victory over your people, are you going to go back to Mecca? Are you going to leave us? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi smiled. And he said, no, I will never leave you. Your blood is now my blood. Your sanctity is my sanctity. I and you are one. You and I are one. I shall fight against those who fight you and make peace with those who make peace with you. So the Prophet says, no, this is a two-way road. If you are willing to sacrifice for me, if you are willing to be loyal to me, I will be also loyal to you. And then the Prophet ﷺ says, Send forth twelve men from among yourselves as chiefs, as nuqaba, who will be responsible for their people. The Prophet, he understood the importance of the structures that existed. The Prophet didn't want to dismantle tribal society. You know, sometimes you have to make da'wah to structures, to institutions. And sometimes that structure is a good thing. So the Prophet, he says that I want you to appoint 12 people who are going to act as chiefs. And they sent forth 12, uh, 9 from Khazraj and 3 from Aus because the Khazraj were the majority. And As'ad ibn Zurara was chosen as the chief of chiefs. So there is one main leader, one point of contact between the Prophet and uh, these, uh, these chiefs. And of course, as you know, uh, As'ad ibn Zurara, he was the, uh, the first one to convert from the people of, uh, of Yathrib. Now, one of the, the men from Medina who was, who was at that uh, place during the second Aqaba Pledge, and his name was abbas ibn Ubadah, he said to his people he says o people of khazraj do you know what do you know what you are pledging this man again this man seems to be very pious he wants them to understand that don't think this pledge is just lip service do you know what you are pledging to this man you are pledging to fight white people and black meaning you're you're pledging to fight against his enemies, no matter who they are. If you think when a scourge afflicts your wealth and kills your loved ones that you will desert him, then leave him now. If you're not willing to go through the fires of tribulation, then don't make any promises. Then leave him. For if you desert him, it will be disgrace in this world and the next. If you abandon the messenger of God during the times of tribulation then this would be a great disgrace. And if you believe you will fulfill the terms with which you have called him here, despite loss of wealth and life, then pledge. It is by God the best thing that you can do in this life and the next. So these the Muslims from Yathrib they asked the Prophet, Ya Rasulullah, if we fulfill this pledge to you, if we commit ourselves to you, What's in it for us? Rasulullah ﷺ. He was very honest with them. He says, Jannah, I'm not going to promise you any worldly power, but I promise you paradise. All of them, resoundingly, they said, Ya Rasulullah, stretch forth your hand. And they all pledged allegiance to the Prophet. And this became known as بَيْعَةُ al-Thaniya, The second Aqaba pledge. And the summary of the terms of the second Aqaba Pledge were as follows. And as and we saw that from the statement of the Prophet. Number one is to hear and obey the Messenger of God in ease and in hardship, in what we like, in what we dislike, and what we are eager to do. Meaning, obedience to the Prophet is unconditional. Number two, and this is important, and this is where This is perhaps one of the reasons why he accepted to go to uh, Yathrib. He got a pledge from them, that the Prophet made them pledge that they would would refrain from vying for power with those who rightfully possess it. If you recall, brothers and sisters, when the Prophet was meeting some of the other tribes, for example, when the Prophet was in Ta'if, one of the questions that, these tribes would ask that if Allah gives you victory, are we going to rule after you? Are we going to have a piece of the pie? And the Prophet said, this is in God's hands. But here, the people of Yathrib, they make a pledge to the Prophet that we will not vie for power with those who rightfully uh, possess it. And of course, to speak the truth wherever it may be, and to ignore the taunts of Your opponents. The next day after the second Aqaba pledge, Quraysh heard rumors. You know, someone leaked news that there was a meeting between the Prophet and the people of Yathrib, and many of them had converted to Islam. So Quraysh started to hear these rumors. They apprehended Abdullah ibn Ubay who was at least temporarily the ruler of the the uh, the Khazraj he was you know elected as that unifying figure they questioned him but he was not aware of anything uh, they detained Sa'd ibn Ubadah and they tried to torture him to make him disclose information and of course when the people of uh, Yathrib when the Aws hears that one of our men has been detained by Quraysh you can only imagine that there was talk about war between Yathrib and between the tribe of Os and Quraysh. And you can only imagine how catastrophic that would have been. In any case, the Quraysh, when they see that this could escalate and, and get out of control, they release Sa'ad ibn Ubada and the people of Medina, they return, return to Medina. And this is where you see Islam starts to spread rapidly, especially after the second Aqaba Pledge. Now, some of the important takeaway lessons uh, from, from the first Aqaba Pledge and the second Aqaba Pledge is number one, we see from these historical accounts that the people of Yathrib were psychologically primed to accept Islam because the Jews frequently spoke about the advent of the final messenger of God. Now what's the takeaway lesson for us, brothers and sisters? Similarly, what we can learn from this is that we can also play a role in preparing for the dhuhr of the 12th Imam by educating people about the concept of the divinely chosen Savior at the end of times. So we see how this had an impact. So the Jews would speak about the Prophet of Akhiraz Zaman and it affected the pagans. And when the pagans were presented the message of the Prophet, now because if you look at it, the, the Meccans were pagans and the people of Yathrib were pagans. But because the people of Yathrib were exposed to the idea of A final messenger. Their hearts were much more, they had a greater capacity to accept. It was not something foreign to them. That's number one. Another lesson that we learn from uh, these pledges and what happens in the the years leading up to the Hijrah is that we see how strategic the Prophet was. The Prophet doesn't just leave Mecca and head towards Yathrib without first planning. The Prophet plants the seeds for success years before traveling to Yathrib. The Prophet was patient, and this is something that we need to learn. It takes a long time to build a community. We have to be patient, we have to be pragmatic, we have to use diplomacy. So the Prophet here, he teaches us the real meaning of tawakkul. You know, Some of us, we are reckless and we think that we are placing our trust in Allah. The Prophet doesn't just leave uh, Mecca without any plan and, and just hopes that Allah is going to protect him from his enemies. No, the Prophet is he's very cautious. He does everything with due diligence. So what we learn from these events leading up to the Hijrah is that the true meaning of tawakkul is That you have to plan, you have to take into consideration all of the contingencies. You have to have contingency plans. You have to make preparations. You have to do your homework. And then after you've done everything on your end, on your part, after you've done your part, this is when you you place your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So tawakkul means that we have to be rational. We have to prepare We have to do our homework, and then we place our trust in Allah. Another important lesson that we learn from the events leading up to the Hijrah is that we cannot achieve success alone, my dear brothers and sisters. Even the Prophet recognized that he needed support, and there is no shame in asking for support asking for support is not a sign of weakness. You know, sometimes we as community members we we set ourselves up for failure because we refuse to admit that we need help, that we need support. And this is the mark of a great leader. They recognize that building a community is not an individual effort. You can't do everything. You need a team to help you. You need a team of supporters. You need that that network of assistance. So admitting that you need support is not a sign of weakness. The fourth lesson that we learn from these incidents leading up to the Hijrah is that we see that one of the most important prophetic examples is the idea of empowering youth. Unfortunately, in many of our communities youth are not taken seriously. We don't make them part of the decision-making process. We don't give them important jobs and tasks. We give them the trivial stuff. We don't allow them to join the boards of our masajid because we think that, you know, they're just kids. He's 25, 30 years old but we treat we we trivialize them. We underestimate them. We don't see their full potential. Mus'ab ibn Umair was in his mid-twenties. The Prophet could have sent one of his senior companions, but the Prophet, in his mind, age is not a qualification. Yes, sometimes age brings experience, but if you see someone who's young and who's capable, do not dismiss him because of his young age. Mus'ab ibn Umayr is in his mid-twenties. The Prophet sends him to Yathrib, There was a lot of uh, tribal tension in Yathrib. He basically makes him a conflict, uh, he gives him the the job of conflict resolution. He gives him the responsibility of teaching Islam to the people of Yathrib. He gives him the duty of establishing Friday prayer in Yathrib. These are important jobs. So the Prophet he never hesitated to empower youth, to give them important Uh, important duties if he saw that they were qualified number five a fifth lesson that we learn is that it's amazing that the prophet was preaching in Mecca for 13 years but by and large the people of Mecca rejected his message but the people of Yathrib accepted his message and we mentioned some of the factors that contributed to that but one of the main reasons why the Meccans refused to surrender to Islam is because Islam did not align with their selfish interests. And this is an important lesson for us, brothers and sisters. You know, if we only follow Islam when it aligns with our interests, then we're no better than those pagans who rejected Islam because islam jeopardized their selfish interests so if we the an important lesson that we learn here is that when we only give consideration to our personal interests we become blind to the truth and there are there might be certain islamic teachings that we reject because it goes against our personal interests so we need to identify if we're falling into that because this is precisely what prevented the uh, the meccans uh, from uh, accepting islam number six is a sixth lesson that we learn is don't underestimate the power of a small group of committed followers you know in our communities we typically judge the success of our programs by the size of a crowd you know if there's a, if there's we have, if we have a majlis and we fill the majlis with bodies that means alhamdulillah this was a, su- a successful majlis we're a successful community if we have x amount of uh, members success is not measured by numbers my dear brothers and sisters we should not underestimate the power and the influence that even a small number of committed people uh, can have mus'ab ibn Umair alone as we saw He was able to convert hundreds of people to Islam. He was one person. So this shows us how much potential an individual can have. We think that we need massive institutions to spread Islam. It could be as simple as a devout Muslim who does everything in their capacity, who lives according to the values of Islam, and you can have a profound impact on your community. And finally, my dear brothers and sisters, in the story of the the pledges of the Aqaba, we learn the virtue of loyalty and gratitude to those who stood with us when we were vulnerable. The Prophet ﷺ was so loyal to the people of Medina, to the Ansar, that he made it his permanent home. As we will see in the seerah of the Prophet, even after the Prophet conquers Mecca, he doesn't stay in Mecca. He doesn't make Mecca his permanent home, even though Mecca was his birthplace. He goes back to Medina because he wanted to, because this was his token of gratitude to the Ansar for supporting the Prophet when his own people had expelled him. So these are some of the practical lessons that we learn from the events that uh, that lead up. To the Hijrah, inshallah, in the coming episodes we'll speak about uh, the Hijrah of the Prophet and we'll speak a little bit about uh, the political and the religious landscape of the city of Medina and specifically why did the Prophet choose uh, the city of Medina to be uh, the destination of his Hijrah. Thank you so much brothers and sisters for tuning in. Uh, to another episode of The Life of Prophet Muhammad. Wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.